I'm creating a collection of stories showcasing resilient people who overcome unimaginable hardships while finding beauty in the ups and downs of life. Every moment is significant. This is Push Diaries Podcast. I'm your host, Tess. Okay. Hi, everybody. This is Push Diaries Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Somehow we made it to July. Not sure how we did it, but for those of you that are listening, congratulations. You made it. So um, the year is halfway over, and I don't know about you guys, but I am really looking forward to good things the rest of the year and in 2021. So I was thinking about the 4th of July, and I wanted to do a bonus episode of some kind, and it's hard for me to think about resiliency and the United States of America and our freedoms without thinking of veterans. So Melissa Stockwell popped into my mind, and she was able to jump on with us for a little bit to share her story and what she's up to. So without further ado, here she is, Melissa, episode 12. Hi. Hi. Hi there. Your house is so nice and naturally lit. I love it. Oh, nice. (laughs) I know. Isn't it amazing how nice it is to have windows in your house and how much better you feel just day to day? It does feel nice. We got plenty of light, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, very good. Thank you for coming on last minute. I was thinking about the 4th of July episode, and I'm not going to lie. You were like the one person in my mind the past like two months. I'm like, I really need to get a hold of her. I really need to get a hold of her. So thanks for coming on. It's really, really awesome to have you. So to just let the listeners know, I met you through Dare to Try in Chicago, which is really exciting. Dan actually and his family grew up next door to my aunt and uncle. So small world. It always blows my mind. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So yeah, if you don't mind just saying where you're from, where you live now, we'll just start there, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, so I'm Melissa Stockwell. Thanks for having me on. I, so I currently live in Colorado Springs. So I'm from Chicago. Well, I moved from, my family and I moved out from Chicago in early 2019. So I could train at the Olympic Training Center in hopes of Tokyo 2020, now 2021. Um, and then we, the goal, the plan was to move back to Chicago once they were done. But we kind of fell in love with Colorado and the mountains and um, ended up buying a house and starting a business. And we are here permanently, at least with the, at least with the short term permanently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. And I bet it's nice, too, with young kids now to sort of land in a place where you're not having to pick up and move, you know, every four or five years. So yeah, definitely. That's, that's gotta feel good. How has this COVID stuff and the canceling of the Olympics this year affected your training schedule? Um, it's definitely affected it. So normally I'm at the Olympic training center and they have these incredible facilities and that's really why we moved out here was for those. Um, the Olympic training center has been closed though and all the facilities for, I mean, gosh, over three months now, I think. So, but the good thing about summertime in Colorado, I mean, I can still get out and bike and run, you know, around my neighborhood. I had the bike trainer if I needed, if it's bad weather. Um, Swimming was a missing piece for a long time. Um, We can now get back in the pools, but, you know, I have a little strength, home strength gym set up. So, I mean, I'm still getting the training in. The, the, you know, it's not as structured as it used to be, which actually – I don't mind and able to kind of spend more time with my kids and, you know, be there in the morning. And so it, it's, I'm still getting the training in. I mean, it's just, it just looks, 
a little bit different facility wise, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You're not inside maybe as much as you were before. So yeah. Are there a lot of like lakes you can practice swimming in or not really where you are? Yeah. None, none, none. No. So it's all pool swimming. Yeah. Um, There's one lake occasionally we're in, in the summer. Um, I don't even think it's open. I honestly, I don't even know. So yeah, but mainly pool. I, I just got, yeah. I ran in from the door. I got wet hair. I was just at the pool. <laughs> well, I think that's awesome. That's so great. My fiance and I are moving. We're going to be in the country. So we feel really excited and blessed to be yeah. able to enjoy the outdoors a little bit more. So great. if you don't mind, Melissa, can you talk about your like childhood a little bit? Maybe your parents. How did you get into wanting to join the military? Let's just give the listeners a little backstory. Um, and then talk about what happened and then kind of how you've been able to be resilient in um, great trials and great loss, kind of starting at the beginning and then we can go from there. Yeah. So I was born, so I, we moved around a lot when I was younger, just kind of my dad always trying to like find a, the, the different job, the best job. And, um, but I don't come from a military family and you know, it was kind of a shock to my parents when at a young age, I said, guess what, mom and dad, I, I want to join the army. And they were kind of like, wait, what? Um, but I learned, like, I was a gymnast when I was younger. And, you know, in our gymnastics gym were all these big American flags. And I would always, you know, look at them. And I kind of learned to love our country from a really young age. So always wanting to just give back. And I wanted to wear the uniform, had that flag patch on my shoulder, so my story brought me out to college at the University of Colorado um, in Boulder, and I joined the ROTC program, which basically set you up to be commissioned as an officer once you graduated. So got to wear that uniform, kind of fell in love with everything it stood for and, you know, the camaraderie, the teamwork, the leadership, everything I got from the military, I just, I loved. And then um, senior year of college, September 11th happened, and I knew it was a pretty high probability that I'd be deployed at some point um, while serving. And that happened pretty quickly. Um, I was commissioned in 2002. And then um, two years later, in 2004, as a first lieutenant um, in the Army, I was deployed over to Iraq with the 1st Cavalry Division um, out of Fort Hood, Texas. And about three weeks, so it was short, a short deployment, three weeks into my deployment, I was on just like a routine convoy through central Baghdad and the vehicle I was in was struck by a roadside bomb, which to make what could be a long story pretty short, um, resulted in the loss of my left leg above the knee. So, you know, in an instant, 24 years old and, you know, suddenly missing a leg and um, trying to start the path of kind of finding the, the new normal of living life with a disability. Yeah. And so in your book, Melissa, I know you just finished writing that and getting that published. So congratulations, because that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, it was a long journey. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Do you talk about the roadside bomb in your book and sort of the details around that whole day? And like, I wonder about what you were thinking once it happened. Like, did you black out? Did you do you remember all of that? Did they fly you home immediately? Like, what did it look like, say, you know, a half hour before it happened, during the time it happened, and then did they get you home within, like, two days, or or were you overseas for a while? Yeah, it is, um, and I'll just kind of share briefly, but yes, it is, it's all in the book, um, you know, pretty, pretty detailed of, of that specific day. 
but I mean, the, the short version of it is, is, you know, I, my, my leg was, was severed. It was gone immediately. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of blood being lost. Um, there was a combat medic in our, in our convoy that truly saved my life. And, um, but from that moment, like in Iraq, I was sent within 24 hours. I was at Launchville, Germany. There was a hospital where kind of all the, all the wounded soldiers went before making the long trip back to the U S they kind of make sure you're stabilized and healthy enough to fly. Right. I was in Germany for, um, within, not even 24 hours, probably within 12 hours. I had an emergency surgery in the backyard emergency room. Probably six hours later, I was boarding a plane to go to Germany, was in Germany for about five days before making the trip back to the U S and, um, so I think it was about seven days, five, five or six or seven days from the time I was injured in Iraq to the time I was at Walter Reed back home. Yeah. Yes. And Walter Reed. Now what state is that in? I should know this. Yeah. So it's, it, well, it, when I was, when I was there, it was in Washington, DC. It has since moved to Bethesda, Maryland. Okay. That's what I thought it was in Maryland. I was 24 when I got paralyzed too. And okay. our situations are very different, but I remember when we worked with wounded warriors at Wind River Ranch out in Colorado there in Estes Park, I was just blown away by these veterans and the things that they've given up and the sacrifices they've made for this country. And I just felt like a huge stirring in my social work heart to want to work like at Walter Reed or something one day and I never made it up there, but now my life has called me in a different direction. But that must have been an incredible facility, right? I mean top-notch for veteran rehab. Um, was your family able to fly up and meet you there then, or? They did. So my dad, my dad, my, my sister happened to live in Slovakia at the time. So, and my dad was on business in Vienna. So I was in Germany, you know, within 12 hours. So within, you know, less than 24 hours after I lost my leg, my sister and my dad were by my bedside. And then when I got to Walter Reed, my mom met us there. So yeah, my whole family was there. Good. Which was key to recovery, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And what was that like going in, having your parents come into the hospital room and your sister come into the hospital room? Were you married yet, Melissa, or or not yet? I was. My current husband is husband number two. So I okay. I, I was married previously. So yes, my ex husband was there with me yeah. from bedside on. I mean, I credit him to a lot of recovery. And what was that like seeing your mom? I mean, a lot of people serve in the military and come home with, you know, every finger digit and every limb. What was it like to like see them? And I mean, did you have an understanding that like that could happen at 24 years old? Or do you feel like you really didn't know or worry? I mean, because you don't until it happens. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I think, you know, it's a possibility. I mean, you, you don't go to a ward like thinking, yeah. Yeah, you have to think that there's a possibility of something happening, but I think, you know, you always think it's going to be somebody else. Like you never think it's going to be you. And I, I, I imagine it's the same for parents, but you know, I was their youngest child. I mean, being a mom now, I just, I can't imagine like the horror of that phone call of the surgeon calling and telling them that I had just lost a limb. I mean, that, I just can't imagine that. Um, you know, so I, there was a lot of, you know, I think it was a lot of reassuring each other you know, that things yeah. were okay. So if I had a 
bad moment, they would reassure me that things were going to be okay. If they had a bad moment, I would reassure them. So we kind of reassured each other that um, everything would, would be okay. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. I, I totally hear you there. I, I think my family too has been so strong for me when I've needed them and vice versa. Um, so, so you do the rehab, like how long did it take for your wounds to heal? Did you have to go into surgery to fix just the tissue down there that was kind of mangled or yeah. What did that look like as far as your wound care and learning to walk on a prosthetic? I mean, Hoofda, that must have been really tough. And don't you have to let your wounds heal before you can put pressure on a prosthetic like that as far as walking? So um, I imagine you were wheelchair bound. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, um, it, it was a process. I mean, I had a total of 15 surgeries just to kind of go in and clean the wound out or, um, you know, revisions. And I had a lot of infections. So a oh. lot of doubt. So, you know, until until the, the the wound was stitched up completely and then that probably takes I don't even remember now maybe like two weeks to heal so yeah I was you know in a wheelchair on crutches I'm um, using a walker um down in physical therapy though trying to regain the strength with with the mobility that I still had and um you know and once I was able to get that prosthetic put that weight through it and everything was healed it it wasn't like I walked overnight. I mean, it's a process. So just like anything is, you know, learning any anything new. So yeah, it was a process. But, you know, little by little, day by day, it regained my independence and was able to kind of see, you know, maybe that life missing a leg was going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what about the other veterans that you met at Walter Reed? Like, what was that like? Can you share a story of someone else that you met that you were inspired by, or maybe it was just your physical therapist? Um, yeah, if you could just share a little bit about that, that'd be great. The camaraderie, I mean, at Walter Reed, there's, you know, soldiers that have, in an instant, were, were missing a limb or their eyesight, something that you, this obstacle that you never expect. I mean, you know that firsthand, right? And, but that camaraderie is stronger than ever. Like, you cheer each other on you're there for each other when you have a bad day and I think the moment that stands out in my mind is the day I got my prosthetic leg and I stood up and they're like now this is your leg and you're going to walk with this and I was like how am I going to walk with this thing and I looked across the physical therapy gym and there was a friend of mine who had lost both of his legs and an arm and like he was up and walking so I didn't really have an excuse at that point it just yeah. kind of in perspective yeah that's pretty amazing yeah just like just how truly robotic some people are. I mean, even their, their mentality is so strong, right? And their determination is so great. And like you said, the camaraderie just provides so much hope in a moment of really horror that I think it's just amazing that you were looking around going like, all right, Melissa, my, my, my opportunity here is to get back up on my feet and try this when you're seeing other people do the same thing. So it's really powerful. So you healed how did you get into Olympic training then? Like, was that an interest of yours before as a kid too? Like, I want to be in the Olympics one day. Like, that is just so cool. It, it was, yeah. I um, So I was a big gymnast when I was younger and kind of dreamt of going to the Olympics. You know, I think a lot of young gymnasts do, and I was no different. You know, I dreamt I wanted to be an Olympian and, um, you know, the I had Olympic rings up in my room and obviously that didn't happen. 
But after I lost my leg, I found out about the Paralympic Games and it was, you know, I could, as an athlete with a disability, I could compete on the world's biggest athletic stage. And um, it was kind of like I had a second chance at that time. You know, I didn't make the path as an Olympian, but maybe I could be a Paralympian. So yeah. I kind of took that on and decided to give it a shot in the sport of, of swimming. And um, the rest is kind of history. <laughs> wow. So you started in swimming. Um, is that what you still do today? I do triathlon now. Triathlon, that's right. Yeah. How does someone without two legs swim? I mean, that seems like a kind of ignorant question, but I'm sure you have tips for people that have no idea what that would feel like. I mean, it's it's on. I know it's, it's I get that question a lot, but it's honestly not much different. So, you know, I because I have the one other leg that's able to kind of stay up and I can kick with it. Swimming is a is a largely an upper body sport if you think about it, and so I, it's really not much difference. I just don't get as much kick with my leg, really. But yeah. it's not. I t I don't wear my prosthetic leg. I take it off. I jump in, and um, I mean, I just swim. I feel like like really anybody else does. Yeah, and I bet it's pretty freeing too. I mean, when anyone's in a pool, you feel freeing because it's just like the gravity's gone, and you can focus on your upper body and your abs and everything like that. Uh how was going then? So your first year, you, you won in Rio, right? Or where did you win first? Um, so I, I didn't win. I got, um, um, I got, I, I, I was on the podium in Rio. I got a bronze medal in Rio. Well, that's still winning to me in my book, but like personal gold. So yes. Yeah. Well, it's super, super cool. And then like, how do you feel the Paralympics did as far as including people of different disabilities. I mean, especially you now being, you know, a huge creator of Dare to Try. How how would you say, like, witnessing Paralympics, right? And then also taking what you've learned to come home to help make sure that you're adequately meeting the needs of all the um, athletes, if that's not a weird question. Uh, I, I think I understand that. So I think, so obviously every, every sport, um, so every sport is different as far as their disabilities, the disability classifications, who we race against, who we compete against. And, um, you know, so ours is swimming is different than triathlon. So sure. I, mean, I think they, you know, they do the best that they can to incorporate all the different types of disabilities. Um, I think sometimes there might not be enough of one particular disability to have a whole playing field. So in that case, it may be left out or an event may be left out, which which is unfortunate. Um, I, I also see the other side of it where you want to have, you know, a, a decent number of people in order to be, have that competitive atmosphere. But, um, yeah, I think they, 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 they do as best as they can. They do. Well, good. I'm happy to hear that. That's really cool. Yeah. So I know you kind of mentioned this a little bit about your kids, but how would you feel if they came up to you one day and said, I want to be in the army mom like how would you feel how would you handle that i would be all for it i mean my first i i love being in the military i love wearing the uniform i think it you know it taught me all sorts of great qualities that have carried over into my life and um but i think we have to do it for the right reason and the right reason is loving your country wanting to give back so i think i would say well why and if they gave me as that as an answer i would say let's do it um you know so yeah i think it's it's a powerful place to be, to grow up in, to, you know, learn about the world. And 
I would be a extremely proud mother. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's again, horrifying to think of what you went through, but like, Melissa, when you're a 75 year old woman, which I firmly believe you're going to live a long, healthy life with the lifestyle you have chosen to lead. Um, I'm sure you're going to look back and be so thankful for all the opportunities that have come after all of that, you know, life is so weird like that. I feel like, you know, we try to experience things and learn things. And as a parent too, I bet you're eager to see what your kids are going to do with their life because they're everything important in this world. You know, like I'm, I'm not a parent, but I love my nieces and nephew very much. So yeah, that's gotta be like really powerful and terrifying all at once for like your mental health to be like, no, I can't worry about my cute little kids getting hurt when they grow up or when they fall on the playground. I think as a parent, you always, there's always something to worry about, right? Whether it's, you know, the cop, they fell on the playground. They, are they going to make friends at school? Like, are they, there's so being a, that's like all you do as a parent is worry about your children. I feel like, um, but you know, I hope to be able to, I mean, I think you have kids and you raise the goal is to raise them to be strong and independent and to go out and find a passion and go live it. And if my kids do that, I mean, then we've done our job right. So I think that's kind of the end goal when it comes to parenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you don't mind, can you talk about your faith a little bit? Has, has your faith shifted as you've aged, um, especially after your injury? Yeah, I am. I, I think it's safe to say, like, I, when it comes to faith, I, I have a strong belief um, really in myself. I, I believe in myself. And I think that that's step number one that everyone needs to, you know, be accountable for. So I, I, for me, it's faith in myself and that I can achieve the things I want to achieve. And, um, it's, it's, it's worked out and I just keep that belief as, as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty powerful how just some confidence in someone, I mean, even like with dare to try, I mean, we have seen you and I both have seen tons of people go past the finish line that probably never thought they would. And, that's super inspiring. And, and, you know, they didn't get there because of, you know, dare to try, obviously like you guys made it possible, but like, it's the, it's the people that do it right. That actually succeed. Absolutely. I mean, we, it's like, you can, you can't drag someone to that starting line of a triathlon. They have to believe that they can do the race and be there. And we try to help them along and encourage them. But at the end of the day, it's up to them believing in themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I have a quick, funny story to tell you about the triathlon I did with you guys. I was using my bike. I think for the first time, my brand new bike, it was like the second race that I did. And I, the, the brake was on like three oh. notches out of 20, Melissa, the whole time I was biking. Oh, that's I, first. Yes. And Stacy, she's so nice, but also kind of like, come on, Tess, you got to remember to turn your brake off. And we laughed about it. And it's funny, but like, I just remember doing that race and being like, what is my problem? Like I trained for this. I really think that's happened to every athlete out there. And like, it's it's like once it happens once, it never happens again because that's when you think about it. Right. But until it happens once you like, don't like it's happened to, I, I am confident like 80% of athletes have done that. Yeah. Yeah. So then it's like, you know, even just the courageous attitude that you've had to show up to Rio to continue on Olympic para or Paralympic events. I mean, that's courageous in itself, just continuing to show up, you know? Um, But again, 
belief in yourself, I mean, that's great because if more people can hear that, I think that could be really inspiring. Did you ever have to go through a dark time, Melissa, where you did doubt yourself for a while? Um, you know, there, I wouldn't say that there were days or weeks, there were moments. I think, you know, that's a natural course to have moments, but I mean, I can't stress enough the importance of when I was at Walter Reed. And if I had a bad moment, like all I had to do was look around because I, I realized I just couldn't feel sorry for myself because of everyone I was surrounded by. So it, it just, the perspective there and just being able to go through that with, you know, fellow soldiers and newly wounded soldiers was, I mean, it, it was the best place to recover for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's pretty amazing that when you go into a place of suffering or not even suffering, but limitation and you can witness it firsthand. I mean, even the physical therapists that work there every day, I mean, it would be like going to church. If, If I worked there, it would be like going to church, just like a holy place. And the fact that all of you sacrificed your lives every day, not knowing what would come, but right. for the betterment of our country is just really incredible. So thank you. I know you probably get that all the time, but truly thank you. I um, you. When you came back home and you were able to meet President Bush, right? And you were, you were awarded the Purple Heart. Can you just share about that a little bit? How many other people got awarded? Was it a ceremony just for you? Yeah, I mean, there's many, many, many soldiers that have received Purple Hearts. Purple Hearts are, if you're, um, you know, wounded in action, and unfortunately, there are a lot of them. So it wasn't, um, I got it while I was at Walter Reed in the hospital, and, um, you know, I had just been injured. To me at the time, it wasn't really a big deal. I didn't really understand kind of the, you know, momentous occasion behind it. I look back now and think about it, but it wasn't really a big ceremony. It was more like someone came in and presented a certificate, but, um, but yeah, I have been able to meet president Bush, um, you know, my former commander in chief on, you know, a number of occasions. He has a bike ride down in Texas. I was at the opening of his library. He's, he's met my son when he was five days old. So um, we have this, this bond and I just, you know, he's politics aside, whatever you, someone believes politically, he's just a great man. And he, he, um, you know, he realizes that the decisions that he made as president impacted a lot of, you know, soldiers and he stands by them and, and, and takes responsibility for them and continues to want to be our friend and to reach out and just make sure we're okay. Wow. Well, that's just really, really cool. Really heartening to hear. I know we're kind of getting to the end of our short little bonus episode here. So if you don't mind, like, what does fourth of july mean to you how is that like celebration every year changed for you since you were a little girl until now now with you being a mom with your family what does that look like what feelings does it bring up i I love fourth of july i mean it's a day to celebrate america and like i i i'm i am all america all the time i mean i my prosthetics are red white and blue you know we'll pass a flag and my kids go mommy's favorite flag like like they they think it's my flag i think i don't think they i think they think it's like flag (laughs) mommy and not fly the United States. Yeah. Learn eventually. Um, so just today, I mean, it's just to celebrate, you know, America, everything that we have here, the freedoms we have. And, you know, I try to share that with my kids. I mean, they're young, two and five, but I think the more I say it, the more it kind of sinks in. And um, I mean, we'll be out there in our patriotic gear. We'll be watching the fireworks and um, listening to patriotic music and just, you know, 
reflecting on how lucky we are to live where we do. Yeah, yeah, we are so lucky. Um, well, now just closing here, I wanted to just mention PTSD. I know that that's like a huge issue with veterans. Um, is there anything you want to share about that as far as resources or even if it's just like a few thoughts that you have about it that could provide more understanding to people that have no idea what it's like? I think people have a good understanding of like depression and anxiety, but they don't understand what it's like to be a veteran with those things too. Yeah, it's, it's a very real. So PTS, post-traumatic stress, and um, it's a very, it's, it's very real. I mean, I, I lost my leg and I go out into the community and I'm able to ambulate and do the things I want. But those that suffer severely from PTS, I mean, they don't even leave their house. And it's a real issue. And there's so many resources though, but the, you have to be, um, you have to be outgoing to get to them. A lot of times they don't come to you. So if you know someone suffering from it, help them be their resource, reach out. You can do something as simple as Google PTS support groups. And I guarantee whether it's through the VA or a local veteran organization, they are out there. So yeah, um, just help someone if you know that they're suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Mental health is an issue in our country for sure. And none of us have to be ashamed for seeking that out. Right. Melissa, do you mind just sharing how people can get a hold of you, where they can find your book um, sure. and any other fun things that you're doing in the next like one to two years? Because we'll be right behind you. Follow on social media. It's mstockwell01. Um, my book is called Power of Choice. It comes out August 4th. You can just kind of go to Amazon, um, type in Power of Choice, Melissa Stockwell, and that comes up. And fun things I'm doing is, you know, hoping to make Tokyo 2021 and be there at the Paralympic Games. So you can follow along with my journey and um, hopefully you'll enjoy it. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited. We'll definitely be rooting on. Thank you so much for coming on today, Last Minute. Yeah. And I'm excited to say, too, that we're going to interview Dan Tun soon. So I'm sure we'll be talking more about you later. So thank right. you, Melissa. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been Push Diaries Podcast. Please visit our website at pushdiariespodcast.com to see our mission and learn more about the guests. This is your podcast, too. I want to hear your stories. Email me at pushdiariespodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pushdiariespodcast. Thank you for listening. This has been a Push Diaries podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Melissa is sure an inspiring person who never gives up, never loses hope, and finds power in her choices. Please be sure to check out her book, The Power of Choice, coming out in August of 2020, and be sure to visit our website at www.pushdiariespodcast.com forward slash episodes forward slash Melissa to learn more about veteran resources, dare to try, paratriathlon, and much more. Tyler and I thought it would be fun to do a quick shout out to our new patrons. Thank you so much to Heather Carson, Rory Styler, Colin Zimmerman, Sharon Tolls, Gwen Fole, Cindy Galley, Kurt Etherington, James Childs, Cheryl Kershaw, Jackie Tully, and Becca Bruining.
Thank you guys so much for making this possible. It means so much to be able to be supported by friends and family and listeners all alike. I'll keep on bringing great content if you promise to keep listening. Again, thank you guys so much. If any of you want to become a new patron of Push Diaries Podcast, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash Push Diaries Podcast to be a part of our mission and have access to exclusive content not found anywhere else. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Push Diaries Podcast. And don't forget that I want to hear your stories. Email me at pushdiariespodcast at gmail.com to be featured on the show today. The podcast is now officially on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Happy Fourth of July. Be safe and God bless.